listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody. Welcome to the GGTMC. We are back on the air with our BoulevardMovies.com episode and feedback spectacular. And uh, I sound more awake than I actually am, really. It's uh, just to give everybody a little behind the scenes. It's about 10 after 5 in the morning on a Sunday. Uh, I don't want to lie to anybody and like make, like sound, make it sound like it's like, you know, we're, we're wide awake here because I got a feeling. <laughs> it's 2 in the afternoon on a Tuesday. We're feeling fine. <laughs> I am drinking a little bit of tea. Will, unfortunately, he didn't grab his caffeine this morning. He was ready to roll because he's trying to grab some more sleep on the back end. So, mm-hmm. And I don't blame him because uh, I'm looking to do the same thing. <laughs> All right. So this week, it is our BoulevardMovies.com sponsored episode. So we are covering uh, Dress to Kill, which I believe is from 1980, right? I'm, uh, yes. Yeah, okay. I didn't even write it down, but I've, it's a film I'm very familiar with. So it was a good guess, I guess. Um, and uh, we got a like a bunch of feedback. I don't know how much we'll get into today, but we'll see. But uh, I'm looking forward to talking about Dress to Kill. It's a movie that I've seen several times. I think Will's seen a few times himself. So, oh yeah, it'd be fun to kind of talk about it. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's just get into what we've been watching. <laughs> what we've been watching, then I guess. <laughs> well, of course, we're also going to talk about uh, James Chappelle's uh, Kitten in the Cat Trap. Yes. Yes, we'll talk about that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've been watching. Uh, I had again. It's it, it probably going to be as I said a pretty short month this month. Uh, I think I have a streak of you know twenty nine or thirty plus movies for I don't know how many months, but it's probably going to be broken this month. Um, started off my week. My I decided to roll the dice and try to you know swing my dick a little bit and see if I could get away with stomping my feet and watching a movie I wanted because it's been a month since I've done that. <laughs> so I picked a movie called La Strega, which if you speak Italian, you know, Strega means witch. So it's The Witches. And this was a film that um, I'd heard about and I thought, oh my God, how have I never heard of this film? And it's essentially, it's a film directed, it's, a, it's an anthology um, that Dino De Laurentiis did uh, as sort of a star vehicle for his wife uh, Sylvia Mangano and what he did was at the time he had employed basically five of the top Italian directors to each director segment uh, based around this woman completely different stories unrelated um, one was directed by Vittorio De Sica, one was directed by Pier Paolo, pa- uh, Pier Paolo Pasolini one was directed by Franco Rossi uh, I know I'm forgetting someone big in there um, no Fellini in there, is there? No, no Fellini. Um, was. To seek. Oh, uh, uh, Lucchino Visconti. Oh, okay. Uh, and then someone, another guy I wasn't, Bolognini uh, or something, a director I wasn't as, wasn't familiar with at all, actually. So, 
Um, this film has never been released on a home video. It's uh, this was a rip from TV from a while ago. As of some actors, you know that if you're familiar with Italian cinema, Toto, a famous, really famous Italian comedic actor, uh, but more importantly for me, the actor that hold held hold it well. Uh, the lure was uh, Clint Eastwood in the last segment of the film. Oh yeah, um, it's. You know, when you get directors that, that literally are, are amongst the best the country's ever produced, you expect pretty incredible results. And anthology is always going to get me excited. It's a pretty mixed bag. Um, the Pasolini one, I thought was going to be my favorite. It was not. It was kind of a wacky futuristic comedy thing. It, it was okay. I mean, the, the best one was the uh, Vittorio De Sica one, um, which... Oddly, instead of being very realist or neo-realist, it was more Fellini than anything. That is interesting. <laughs> and yeah, Eastwood, uh, he's the husband who just, he's this guy who works 60 hours a week and and he's boring and the wife's this wife who just wants to feel attractive and, and he just, he's kind of a, a clueless mope. Yeah. And then it would it would kind of go into her fantasy world, that which was pretty fantastical. So not bad, worth a watch if you can track it down more. It's a curio piece than anything. Um... Then I watched a film that I had been meaning to see for years because it features my favorite actual rock band. Uh, I say rock band because my favorite band is the Beastie Boys. My favorite rock band is a documentary that, that's very notorious surrounding them, and that's the Rolling Stones' Cocksucker Blues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's okay. I mean, I think I was saying to Zach, uh, Lightning Bug, that it feels very much a piece that when it came out, it would have been pretty groundbreaking and pretty shocking. But in this day and age of all access all the time, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't feel as, as fresh or groundbreaking as it would have otherwise. I mean, a couple powerful moments. You know, for me, seeing Stevie Wonder, um, my favorite sort of voice of all time, on stage with them, singing Satisfaction, I got chills. And it kind of reminded me of, of why I love music so much. Right. Um, and then you get to see a woman shoot smack. Yeah. <laughs> Good old, good old smack. That was that was actually pretty pretty chilling. So yeah. you know it was it was okay. You know it has a few moments, but uh, you know Stones will never let us light a day. So it's sort of a muddy VHS. Yeah, great uh, title though, Cocksucker Blues. That's a great title. It is. It is a great title. Uh, I then got into a film uh, called Go for It, directed by uh, Enzo Barboni under his. E.B. Buker. Oh, oh, nice. Enzo Bar- little Barboni. You went back to the Barboni. Talk about an Italian master. Yeah, man. <laughs> and I, I don't know what it was, but about a week ago, I, I just had this really strong urge to, to go back and watch a lot of post-Spaghetti um, Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer films. Oh, and well, maybe, maybe you, know, uh, you know, there's a lot of light fare in there. Maybe you just felt like watching some light movies. I did. I did. There and I had known going in that it was going to be light fare. And I started getting really excited. I started thinking, man, I, I got to watch a bunch of these. And when I get when my kids get to be a little bit older, it's going to be great to watch these films with them. So um, I put the call out. Some people responded because uh, I'd only seen a couple of them, mostly spaghetti stuff uh, with them. And the first one I watched was Go for It, which uh, which was really really fun. I really enjoyed it. It was probably it was perfect Sunday afternoon fare. Even though it was a Saturday. Um, they play. Uh, Oddly, Hill plays a, a roller skating uh, <laughs> ventriloquist, and and Spencer's just you know a tough overhand smash kind of guy, and they end up on the run from the cops on a plane to Miami, which in turn lent, they get mistaken for CIA agents who have all the most incredible gadgets at their disposal. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it's really fun, man. I really, really had a lot of fun with it, and it's like I said, it's perfect Sunday afternoon fair. So yeah, we I, I like you and I were saying I, we really got to do a few more of their films, man, because they they're so fun to watch together. They got such a great chemistry. Yeah, they're they're, they're you know their films are fun. I mean, they're not you know groundbreaking movies. I mean, I guess the you could argue that maybe Trinity is in some ways, but. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, they're just fun films, you know? Like, that one I watched, I think it was called, uh, what was it called? Shit. Ah, hell, I can't remember. But they did so many films together. But uh, I always enjoy, it. they're kind of like like a really, really, really nice piece of bubble gum to go back to and just enjoy. But, I've, you know, I've actually never seen that film. Go for it. It's really fun. Because I, initially I wanted to see Double Trouble, where it's, and I think the AKA is not two but four, where they are jazz musicians in Brazil and there's a case of um, them having not twins but evil identical lookalikes that they get mistaken for which are like crime lords in Brazil <laughs> that wear white suits and fedoras <laughs> and I just didn't get it in time but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> next time. I watched uh, I mean I, I didn't watch any of the movies with them this week but uh, because of your influence of posting stuff on our Facebook page of Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer I watched a bunch of I watched as many interviews and pieces on YouTube as I possibly could of those oh, guys. Those two? Oh, yeah, those two guys. Oh, nice. Just nice. How was that? It was just interesting. Just an interesting talk. I, I don't know. Terrence Hill, he speaks German. Because he's half German. Yeah, I yeah. just found out his mother was German. So he, uh, and I think he did a couple of those German uh, spaghettis. Yeah, yeah. He worked in Germany for two or three years early on and, and kind of got, got his feet wet in that uh, so, uh, industry. It was just fun listening to him talk, you know, listen to the regular voices and stuff. Bud Spencer sounds exactly like you think he would sound, or his real deep, hefty, uh, you know, manly man type voice. Oh, yeah. If Terrence Hill, you know, I'm always interested to hear him talk. He speaks pretty good English, though, too, though. He's got some interviews in there with some, in some English and stuff, and he, he speaks it pretty good. He usually does his own dubbing. I don't know if Spencer does. I don't know if... I don't think Spencer does. Yeah, I have a vibe that he doesn't either, but the voice they get for him is great. Like yeah. it's like you said, gruff and kind of low and stuff. But, <laughs> yeah. um, I watched that, and then I just finished off my week with, excuse uh, me, wow, this is a hard one to get off the tongue yet. It shouldn't be. Guy Lamb, uh, of course, the story of Ricky and Seventh Curse fame, uh, a film he did called The Peacock King. Oh, yeah. With uh, This has a pretty incredible cast, including Yun Bao, Biao, uh, Joe Agata, Sonny Chiba, not Sonny Chiba. Why did I say Sonny Chiba? Gordon Liu. <laughs> um, it's it's pretty insane. Uh, it's a lot of claymation. It's about demons. It's it's really insane. It's a lot of stop motion claymation stuff going on, and, and some wild <laughs> set pieces, which I posted some screenshots for. Yeah. And, uh, oh fuck me. And it's really, it's really fun, though. I mean, it's what you'd expect. It's a perfect, I said on, on our page, it's a perfect Uncool Cat Chris film. Ah, yes. So, you know, that was my week. It, uh, That's a good week. It's a good week. I I tried to watch more than I could, but uh, I didn't. I, nowadays, it seems like uh, I watch get to watch one good film uh, all the way through, and then everything else is in bits and pieces. It's similar to my video game playing and my TV watching and everything else. and mm-hmm. It's just whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever. Like I said, I was uh, people who follow me on Facebook. Uh, I was at a baseball game last night, so I'm still uh, belching beer and nachos this morning. So nice, it's lovely. <laughs> All right. Uh, the only thing I watched this week, although I will say that I had, uh, I'll say that um, I did watch one film this week, and it was really, really, very, 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 very good. Uh, a movie called uh, The Letter Never Sent. 
Oh, yes, I've heard of this. And this film is from Russia. Now, don't ask me why. For the life of me, that I decided to watch a Russian film. Of all films, I had Haywire sitting here, um, which I started but didn't finish. And uh, I'm looking forward to finishing that because I love the first 15 minutes of that. Nice. Um, I can't wait to watch it, too. Yeah. But this is uh, from the director of uh, I Am Cuba. Did you Have you ever seen I Am Cuba? I love it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Easily one of the greatest shot films of all time, I Am Cuba, you could argue. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It is very, very much so. But it's directed by, um, this letter never sent, it's directed by the same director, Mikhail Kalatozov. Kalatozov? Mikhail Kalatozov. Where are your papers? <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, I think in toward the back end of his career, he made like, uh, people argue that he made like four masterpieces in a row, I think. Uh, the Cranes Are Flying, Letter Never Sent, I Am Cuba, and one that I thought about covering on here was Sean Connery called The Red Tent. But... Um, this film, uh, man, talk about camera work that'll blow your fucking mind. This one, yeah. uh, this one is gorgeous. Uh, black and white film, 1960. It's basically four geologists. They're kind of like looking for diamonds in the Siberian wilderness, and they kind of get trapped by a wildfire. And I'm not, I, I don't know how they did this shit in 1960. I, I think they just set shit on fire. And uh, it's pretty insane. This is highly, highly recommended for me. Uh, for people who just love film, and uh, I mean, I, I'm telling if if I don't know if we'd ever we'll ever review it on the show or not, but if I was to say I was to give it a score, just roughly off the top of my head, it's definitely in the nine territory. It's that good. Oh wow! It's that good. And Criterion just put this out as some of their bare bones. They're starting to put out like these bare bones, like cheaper Blu-rays and DVDs. I think you can get on this on DVD for like sixteen, seventeen bucks, and on Blu-ray for like twenty bucks, twenty something bucks. So uh, I just wanted to check it out, and uh, I checked it out. And I do not regret it. I mean, it was a it was a great film. Let's put it that way. I didn't even I knew of that film, but I didn't put two and together that it was the same director as I Am Cuba because that. And like you were saying about the camera, man, this is a time when it wasn't easy to get away with, yeah, with being well shot. Like you had to fucking earn it. <laughs> yeah, because cameras were not small; they were not light. Um, you know, there were some things they did and stuff. I mean, obviously they could use some smaller camera stuff, but I don't think they use any smaller cameras. This has just got some amazing... I don't know I don't know how they pulled off some of the shots in this film they pull off. Some of them I do. I mean, they look amazing, but it's like, okay, well, they're using... Obviously, they're using a helicopter there. They're doing this here. They're, you know... But I read some behind-the-scenes stuff with him, and they said he was kind of fascinated with, like, using the whole crew. What he would do was, like, with I Am Cuba, and the most influential shot in I Am Cuba, uh, Paul... Thomas Anderson kind of ripped yes. off of Boogie Nights where the camera's kind of cool. floating around yeah and then it kind of goes it follows a girl to the pool and then it goes into the pool with the girl and then it comes back out um, that same thing it's even more breathtaking I Am Cuba if you guys haven't seen it but I remember reading that uh, he became fascinated with moving the camera around so much that he would have these big crews and they would just pass the camera around to each other you nice. know, so he could get it in his worst but he'd have people strategically set up in a scene uh, that you know maybe an extras or something like that, but when the camera came around to their turn, then they would take the camera. So you know he had all these people just kind of carrying the camera around, including actors and everything. So he became fascinated with the moving camera. But it's 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 amazing film work. It's an amazing film, uh, and uh, definitely definitely worth a check out. So I'll be interested if anybody checks it out out there. So and I'm waiting for the Criterion Cast review of it. Hopefully they'll review it pretty soon. Hmm. Yes. All right, drink of tea there. All right, so that's the only thing I watched. Now, we can kind of get into what we both watched this week, which was a little short film. 
called Kitten in the Cat Trap from our good friend uh, James Chappelle. I think it's Chappelle or Chappelle. I don't know. We'll just we'll just say we'll say Chappelle because it sounds uh, sounds already James Chappelle. Um, he had sent us this short film a long time ago, and uh, we of course <laughs> we are not the best at uh, getting on things right away because we are so busy in our outside lives and we do this for a hobby. But uh, we have gotten to it finally, and. Uh, it was an interesting, uh, interesting experience because I, I was thinking one thing because he he shot it as part of a the forty eight hour film project, right? Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yeah, over in uh, I guess he's from uh, he's English, right? Yep. Do you sorry? Do you have the email? Maybe there'll be something in there. I can take a look and see if I have it on hand. Here. No, I don't think I do. I think Let I'm, me see if I do then, I so have. I can. Uh... Uh, but uh, either way, uh, I'll talk about it a little bit more. He sent this to us. And we had, uh, you know, promised to look at it and stuff, and and we we, we were going to, but we just it kind of got kept pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. I think he sent it to us back when we were going through our craziness with scheduling, and we just kind of, you know, it took us like, if you guys remember, it took us a few months to get that straightened out. So once we got that straightened out, um, it worked out pretty good. So let me see here. Fuck! I could have swore he sent us something. Hmm. He did. I think. Let me see here. I don't got it here. I got it. It's. Uh, I think I may. Have, I think I may have inadvertently deleted it last night, getting some music out of there. Mm. Hey, but I'm gonna put it back in the inbox. Oh, okay. Um. What the hell was I saying? I'm fucking insane this morning. As soon as, hours. As soon as I figure. <laughs> as soon as I figure out. Uh, you know what? Let me just look through here and see if he's got anything. Uh, Jesus, he sent this. He sent us this film on twelve six of last year. <laughs> I was going to say January, so I wasn't that far off. Uh, I'm trying to see. Now it's he, May. Yeah, I'm trying to see if he's got anything written in here that can, we can kind of talk about. Let's see here. This is great radio, I'm sure. Didn't he? <coughs> excuse me. I thought he sent something again indicating about. The lead actress was now in um, The Lady in Black. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So this film was shot in two days, originally for a festival in which the criteria was shooting 48 hours, which I mentioned. It had zero budget. Uh, the girl in white character was just in this year's The Woman in Black. And uh, he's got an IMDb post. Anyway, you can see the whole film. He's got it on YouTube, and you can uh, reach it over at our Facebook page. Uh, it's about a 16-minute film, I think, about a 15 to 16-minute yeah. film. Uh, so that's what he's... Uh, God, he's also uh, just to kind of give him a shout out here. He also writes a section called Destination Nowhere for a review site called uh, ScreenHighway.com, which uh, just started in January. So he's got a few which, reviews up over there. And he's posted yeah, he's some of them up. On, of, yeah, yeah. He's been posting them up on our group on Facebook too. Again, if you're not a member of Facebook, I understand you don't like Facebook, but without a forum post and everything else, you really want to communicate with us and with everybody else in this community. Probably should get on Facebook at least to join those groups. <laughs> Like our good friend Sir Duke did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling some more people will do eventually. Uh, yeah. I understand not one. I mean, I was a anti-Facebook guy for years. But now I realize that it's really the, the, the best way to communicate with a massive amount of people. So there's really just no way other, other way to do it, really. Forum posts are just so antiquated, you know, for so... And it's essentially forum post anyway. But anyway, that, that's the criteria he had for the making this film and stuff. Will, what did you think? Of James Chappelle's Kitten in the Cat Trap. I thought, I knew it was uh, a kind of neo-giallo 
going in. Um, I knew James was a guy who was very much in, informed by European horror, um, especially being European. I thought it was quite good, and I was very pleasantly surprised with uh, with what I had seen, especially in light of the fact there was no budget and 48 hours to do it. Um, you know, you have to be completely forthright and think, okay, well, James is is a friend of the show and he's a member of our community. We're happy to help him any way we can, our little tiny, teeny, small way. And I think I'd be lying if I didn't say that part of me worried that you know, the film was Drek. What were we gonna? <laughs> how are we gonna talk about it? But I'm happy to report back that it's it's very fucking far from it. In fact, <laughs> it, James is quite talented. Yes. Yes. Um, there's some really great stuff in the in the film. Just a few just a few bullet points. Um, you know, great synth and drums, and just a great score overall. Um, it's it looks. I mean, the main thing about the film is James's aesthetic. Uh, it just has a fantastic kind of washed out 60s look, but that's also a bit kind of psychedelic at times, very hallucinogenic at times, or hallucinatory, whatever the word would be. Um, it seems a touch, you know, a, a touch of Kenneth Anger, a, a generous heaping of, of Suspiria-era Dario Argento, uh, mixed in with, with some very uh, British um, uh, feeling as well. It's... Uh, yeah, it's it's really great. I mean, he knows when to use cinematic stylishness over realism because he understands that, by which we'll talk about with the Palma, we talked about with Refn last week, when you, you, you have ability to do something cinematically, you kind of forego reality a little bit, which just makes your film all the better. Um, reminded me a bit of Emmer, uh, but more British. Uh, great use of props. Um yeah, just, it looks really beautiful. I mean, good use of the cat imagery. And I just think all the actors acquitted themselves well, all things considered. So a very pleasant surprise. And I, I would say that if James keeps on this road, he certainly has a good career ahead of him. Yes, indeed. You know, I, I had the same feeling you did. You know, we, we do these things for friends of the community, amateur filmmakers, so to speak. And you always have that concern, right? Mm. That, you know... It could be, you know, let's just be honest, it could be crap. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, if I made a film, there's quite a high possibility it could be a piece of junk. Uh, so, you know, these people are putting themselves out there, and that's admirable to begin with. And, uh, you know, pretty brave, in my opinion. Uh, but this was a very, very pleasant surprise, I agree. Uh, I think he used some type of uh, effect, camera effect thing, maybe. Uh, and James, correct me if I'm wrong, you can send some feedback in or something, but uh, something from like... Uh, I have like a couple of camera effects on my phone and uh, oh yeah, kind of like an Instagram for like a video, you know, for those of you familiar with Instagram or uh, stuff like that. Anyway, I have a couple of those effects. I've shot some home video with like these eight millimeter uh, effects on my iPad and uh, it's pretty cool, uh, but this is lit well. This is for no budget. This is very well done. He makes all the right choices, which, you know, instead of showing a car wreck, he kind of cuts. Instead of uh, doing a couple other things, he cuts. Really well edited. Yeah, it's really well done. I mean, uh, I don't know how much uh, of his education is in the film world. I don't really know. I mean, I know him from the Facebook group, and I know him a little bit and stuff, but I don't really know him that well. So, yeah, obviously, his film language is pretty solid, and uh, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people from our community are really digging it, too. I really quite dug it. I thought it was pretty great. Uh, this would have easily won that 48-hour film contest we watched. Oh. 
Yeah, not to discredit those films, but <laughs> there was one really good one, a few solid ones, and then a bunch of mm, not as good ones. But yeah, this definitely would have been like, how do you beat this? I yeah. mean, fuck. Yeah, I mean, it's really impressive. And uh, I was, I mean, I was kind of blown away by it and stuff. And I, I like Jake's uh, reply on the Facebook group, like, whoa, you know, what people go? How do people go off being all talented and shit on here? <laughs> <laughs> because you know, a lot of us, I think, would like to be filmmakers or be involved in it somehow i mean i know will and i would you know if we had a dream i'd probably be to work in the film industry of some sort oh yeah um so you know see one of our friends on the facebook group and somebody that's contacted us to, that actually i think could go on to better things uh yeah i mean i wish nothing but the best for james and uh, i definitely recommend everybody go over and check this out so like i say about a 15 16 minute short film uh, you'll be you'll be impressed. I guarantee you. I, if anything, I guarantee you'll be impressed. Because yeah. you know you think amateur filmmaking, short film, it can go either way. But trust me, you'll be impressed by this one. But so it's great work, James. I mean, I have to say, uh, very impressed. So, and my my thoughts on the film are it's just it's just it's really good. It kind of harkens to all the things we love about that era of filmmaking, right? Oh, definitely. It kind of get, it's kind of like a short version in a lot of ways of of Amir in some ways. It's kind of honoring this this code of cinema that was once was the giallo. Yeah, which uh, you know the great uh, Felipe from uh, Cinema Diabolica once said they'll never be that era of filmmaking again. Which you know he's correct. They're really in a lot of ways they'll only be homages to it, but it'll never be around again. So because once it's gone, it's gone. Truth. You can go back to it, but you just you can't ever quite get it back. Even Dario can't get it back. So, oh, that's not even. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's our uh, thoughts on Kitten in the Cat Trap. Definitely check it out, guys. And James, thanks again. Uh, anything else you ever want to send our way that you work on? Sure, we'd we, you know we'd love to we'd love to check it out, man. And Neil, good luck to you. I hope you have a a wonderful career in this field. Yeah, you deserve it. If talent is uh, a barometer, you you certainly will be there. So. Yeah, just really don't. again thank you for thinking of us uh, to to discuss uh, your creative uh, pro, your creative uh, endeavor just don't forget about us little guys that get up at 5am in the morning to record podcasts <laughs> yes <laughs> oh man alright so usually we take a break after the intro here but uh, because of the special circumstances of the show and lack of sleep I think we'll just go Yeah, we said off the air right before we started that the, the, the world's cruelest sound used to when I didn't have children I thought the cruelest sound was like being on an airplane with a screaming child now that I have a screaming child I don't realize that's not the worst noise in the world you sympathize with that parent and count yeah. your blessings it's not you yeah, I realize now that the worst noise in the world is any type of alarm clock system Ugh. which is just you know life's cruel joke to us all that we have to wake up. I always thought that the world would be probably, well, it probably would not be actually in theory, but it'd probably be more productive if we could all just wake up when we wanted to and go to work when we wanted to. Quite the opposite. It would be the most unproductive society. <laughs> Nothing would ever get done. We would all be Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. Yep. In, Logan run, in Logan's run outfits. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be great because that would mean all the women would wear see-through chiffons. So. Oh, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Little Jenny a gutter. I think I know what I'm going to Google image search while we talk. <laughs> yeah, mine in the gutter. Uh, okay, so let's get into our review here from Boulevard Movies. This is the Blu-ray of Dressed to Kill from 1980, Brian De Palma film. Um, 
you selected this, so I'm going to let you synopsize this film. Um, okay. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll take the lead on this one, and I'll have a few things to say, I'm sure. Very nice. <laughs> um, <clears throat> ah, here it is. It's a, okay. weird, it's a weird synopsis. It's kind of like told from the view of like the killer. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah. Uh, a mysterious tall... I was just make sure it wasn't too spoilery. Mm-hmm. A mysterious tall blonde woman wearing sunglasses commits a murder. And now she's after the prostitute who witnessed it. So, yeah, I, I want to obviously, you know, being what I consider, and I know you'll certainly agree, an American jally, um we have to tread lightly in terms of certain certain things we talk about, certain plot points. Um, I picked this film because I quite love it. It's probably my second favorite, De Palma. Uh, second or third, it, it's it's right in there. For me, Carrie's number one, and then either this or Scarface is number two, uh, just full disclosure. and um, I wanted to get the blue, quite frankly, and I wanted to talk about it with you because we haven't done enough De Palma other than Phantom of the Paradise on here. So... Um, I'm very curious because I don't think we've ever really dug in on this film. So curious what you think. Yeah, we only we've only covered two ca- two overall. We covered Sisters as well, which but that was me and Loaf. Oh, that's why I was like, did we? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Plus, that's right. That's when you you and Loaf did Sisters. Yeah. That's right. We did Sisters and Phantom of Paradise, which is weird because those are back to back. That's what he did Sisters and he did Phantom of the Paradise, but we've not touched another De Palma since. And uh, full disclosure, this is actually one of my favorite De Palmas too. It's right in there with. Uh, uh, Blowout, which is my favorite, and then uh, uh, Phantom of the Paradise, and Jesus. It's, it's so many great films, and let's yeah. just say we both fucking love De Palma. Yeah, in the seventies and uh, maybe the bit of the early eighties when it was bleeding over, there's just he was just one of the best. I mean, he was one of the best working. I don't think he was the best, but I, I will argue that he was one of the best working at the totally. time. Totally, and I still love his films. Uh, not all of them. But uh, I still can argue that there's things in Snake Eyes I like, and even, oh, yeah, even things opening. in the yeah, even things in the Lamo Mission to Mars I like. So, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, the only things I haven't liked his at all was his last film that he released, Redacted. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> Thought it was really really bad. And uh, but everything else he's in Casualties of War, I could argue is probably his for me. Casualties of War and Raising Cain. Well, even Carlito's way. I can make. Well, you know what? I can make an argument for a lot of his films. So Into the nineties, he was still doing good work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and of course, you know, there's the Untouchables in there, which a lot of people like. So, oh yeah, which is lesser De Palma, but pretty good Hollywood filmmaking. So, and and certainly an exercise in in like I remember when I took a film class in high school, that was one of the films they showed. You know, in terms of the technique, the craft of film was on display with the Untouchables. Yep. Yeah, yeah. All right. So. Yeah, I am a huge fan of this. Uh, this is really when De Palma was on. He was, uh, you know, he had uh, stuff he was starting to really kind of get from uh, his experimenting with the Sisters, moving into Phantom of the Paradise, and then, you know, Obsession, Carrie, The Fury. Those were all Sisters, Phantom of the Paradise, Obsession, Carrie, and The Fury were all back to back to back to back. So, uh, and some of those lesser than others, but still all of them pretty interesting to talk about. Uh, Home Movies is in there in between this and The Fury. Which I've never seen, actually. Yeah, I think it's a comedy. It's, uh, yes. I think I've seen it, but because I went through a period where I was like written everything I could possibly find on videotape with De Palma when I was younger, but I don't know. I don't recall it if I have seen it, so I'd have to see it again. But anyway, 
Uh, and then he did Dress to Kill, Blowout, Scarface, Body Double, which some really love. Uh, and Wise uh, Guys, which I've I've seen bits and pieces of as a youngster, but yeah, yeah it's it's uh, okay. probably for the better that I haven't seen more of it. <laughs> it's okay. It's you know whatever. <laughs> Not exactly a classic. But anyway, uh, so yeah, so when he was on, you know, he was he was on fire. I mean, he really was. He really had a lot to say with the camera and what he was doing and stuff. And and this is, uh, you know, this is, you know, him doing a little bit of uh, Hitchcock. There, you know, he's he's been known to be. He, he went through a lot of the same things that Tarantino's gone through. Oh, big time. He's went through the whole, you know, he's always just ripping off Hitchcock. Oh, he's just ripping off so and so. Oh, he's just ripping off so and so. But it, it's those. It's one of those arguments where you could say that you know, really, any modern filmmaker is mostly going to be kind of working off of somebody because somebody they're going to be influenced by. Yeah, I mean the 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 totally original filmmaker. I think there's there, there's a, there's a handful of them that come along every now and then, but the totally original filmmaker is you know it's a it's a rare breed now. Oh, um, sure. Just like the totally original writer or the totally original playwright or the totally original whatever. They're kind of a rare breed, so you know, there's there's a few I could name a few maybe directors that I think are totally original. But even the ones that are totally original, even like Gaspar Noé, is highly influenced by like a Stanley Kubrick and and people like that. Even though Kubrick would never move his camera around quite like Noé would, he still has a lot of the same things going on. Uh, arguably, this film is as far as the thriller genre. Uh, I say that because I feel like this film is more of a horror film in a lot of ways uh, than a thriller. Uh, it gets lope, it gets roped into the thriller category, um, but it, it the violence is harsh in this film. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of it, but what there is, it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> oh, it definitely is, and it fits into that small world too, like we were saying of American Jolly. Like I can see the three that always come to mind for me are this cruising, and which is sort of a police procedural slash Jolly, and Eyes of Laura Mars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like American filmmakers saw what the Italians were doing, and the Italians were starting to break off from it. And American filmmakers were like, "Hey, you know, those Italians had a pretty good idea. Let's 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 see if we can do that." Yeah, because cruising, I think, is eighty as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. eighty-one, and then Eyes of Laura Mars is probably before it's before eighty-four. I know that, so they were all kind of yeah, late to the party. But being in the art house, they had to have been influenced by some of these uh, jelly. Yeah. Now this film opens really, really strong. Um it's got a great opening, uh, kind of plays with you a little bit. De Palma's notorious for playing with the audience, uh, with his camera and stuff. And, you know, there's the influence of Tarantino's. In, Tarantino feels his influence in here. You can feel his influence in here. Uh, De Palma likes to shoot through doorways a lot, which Tarantino also loves to do. Uh, I like that, too. I like that, you know, a camera starts in one room that's empty and goes into another room where there's people. Uh, Tarantino tends to stay outside of the room. He doesn't move the camera as much, but... Uh, this one kind of floats in there, which is nice. Uh, a lot of floating camera. The steady cam was just coming around around this time. I think uh, Carpenter used it, and you know people were starting to use it more and more. The Shining was released the same year, I believe. Yeah, I think so. so. People were really starting to use that steady cam a lot, and uh, so you know it goes into the bathroom, and we get a a naked Angie Dickinson taking a shower, which I think it is her. That original establishment shot is her. Yes, but then we get a. A body double. Beaver double. A body double. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, yeah. we do see labia. So, and she'd said in the, the thing that it was very much a younger woman doubling for her beaver. Yes. yes. She uses the word beaver, which is fantastic. <laughs> yes, it is. It's always great when an older lady uses the word beaver. <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyway, she's uh, you know fantasizing about sex. Is it too late to make a joke about Angie Dickinson? Let me use her beaver. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's kind of fantasizing. Her husband's shaving and stuff, and so she's kind of fantasizing and stuff. So we get this great opening, and I don't want to give it away for those who haven't seen this film, but it is just like this really kind of great uh, kind of trick that uh, De Palma pulls off with the camera and stuff, and it's a lot of fun. The, the original opening of this film involved uh, penis mutilation. But he decided it, to he decided to cut that out. <laughs> yeah, and to say much more than what that means uh, would probably be revealing too much of the film's hand. Yes, yes. <clears throat> but you know where that idea came from? I because I watched a bunch of the special features. De Palma was in in the bathroom one day, and he was shaving his beard with a straight razor, and then he was shaving his chest, and yeah. then he shaved off all his pubes, yeah. and uh, <laughs> saw his dick just hanging there, and. Got the idea for the film, so yeah. Palmer saved his pubes, and so this film started to come to light. Well, I, I've seen interviews with him in the past. I didn't watch the special features on this disc, but uh, I've seen interviews with him in the past where he said that he often wondered what it would be like to, to remove his penis sit there in that time too. And I'm like, who has that thought? Maybe De Palma, you know, maybe maybe he needs to think about that a little bit. But you know, whatever. Jeez, it I've is never. I've never <laughs> pondered that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, I think it's interesting that he. Uh, that this is the way De Palma kind of works. He kind of he's always been like this. If you ever see interviews with him, he's he's always like he'll always start an interview with like I had this idea. He'll always say that, <laughs> and uh, he, he says that because he does always have these ideas, and he kind of he kind of keeps them floating around, and then he kind of puts all these ideas together and usually makes a film that way, which is pretty amazing when you think about it because. A lot of people tend to like get one idea and then they just start writing. But he kind of like this has all these ideas that float around, and similar to like the museum scene in this and some other things. All these things he had floating around in his head, and he just put them all together. And he actually—I know in, in this film situation, I'd read an interview with him a long time ago where he had seen a a Phil Donahue piece on transsexuals, yes. which is in the film. Yeah, and uh, he kind of thought, well, that'd be kind of fun. Let's let's use that and stuff. Now this film is not the nicest to the transsexual crowd in some ways especially with its, it's psych- sort of psycho babble yeah it's kind of psycho babble and, clit- and literally saying quote-unquote psycho uh babble because it kind of reminds me of the back end of psycho in some ways well there's the yeah it, there's definitely some homages to, to psycho and well there's just all this exposition at the end it's like you know you don't really have to do that you know but that and also the fact that we get a few pretty pronounced shower scenes in the film, especially the one at the back end, which we'll mention yeah, yeah. later on. But yeah, it's funny, you know, you say, talk about he has ideas and he's a guy that when I, whenever I've read interviews or seen interviews, it feels like he, this is a guy who at the time really eat, slept and breathed film. And he had ideas in his head for years that he was finally able to get out. And I think that's really fantastic. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, you have this like, rash of great films from him in the 70s because it's like he he couldn't keep all these ideas in he had to get them all out um which you know is always the artist's plight right you always have all these great ideas and then you know you might go through a period where you just don't have any ideas and um it's arguable if he had ideas toward the end and stuff toward the back end of his career but uh it's hard to believe it's been since 2007 he's made a film he's got a film on the way out called passion but that won't be out till next year. So it's been six years. It'll be six years between films for him, which is a long time. So, Yeah, it definitely is. Interesting. Uh, and he's getting up there, too, now in age, I think. Ain't he? What is he? Uh, let me see what his age is here. 1940. So, yeah, he's getting up there. Oh, wow. He's, he was born in 1940? Yep. So, man, he's, what, 72? Yeah, he's getting up there. Goodness. 
He's not a guy that uh, that backs away from the buffet table. It should be said. A big dude, man. Yeah, he's a big. He's a big man. <laughs> he loves to wear that damn director's jacket. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, almost like the Romero, uh, yeah, army jacket. But his is more like a safari color. <laughs> yeah, if you put a safari hat on him, you look like totally at home. <laughs> I always love these directors who become obsessed with film so much that they just kind of wear the same clothes all the time. Kubrick did that too, man. He they, yeah. pe- people who worked with him would say he'd show up to set and it's like, I swear to God, he wore that yesterday. And then Jack Nicholson, I think, one time said, yeah, he wore that yesterday, and he wore it five weeks ago. He's been wearing it for five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so obsessed with making movies, he doesn't give a shit what he looked like. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's just an afterthought. Yep. So once you know the twist of this film, you think it's not very rewatchable, but for a cinephile, this film's like a like a sweet treat. It's like uh, it's like you can go back every time and get like this really, really nice sensation from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was younger, I used to think, you know, the bad thing about the thriller genre was that once you know what happens in a thriller, you, just get, you know, the film's one and done. But in reality, yeah. if you love movies, a really well-done thriller is like a really well-done drama, a really well-done comedy, a really well-done horror film, whatever, um, in that you can revisit it. I, I mean, obviously, you can't revisit it once a week. I guess you can if you really love it that much. But, I mean, you know, going back and revisit, this is the first time I've seen this film probably in at least five or six years probably maybe maybe a couple more than that so it was really really nice to go back and see it especially in high definition which which should be said you know a lot of these films at the time they're soft and and kind of overblown and stuff but this this film walks a great line between being appropriately soft and dreamy but still very clear and crisp and sharp yeah yeah it does it really does um yeah it does have that kind of like vaseline filter look to it Mm-hmm. And a lot of shots and stuff, which is okay. I think you know, I think it works, especially for this era of filmmaking. I mean, it looks like a it looks like a a really competently shot slasher film in some mm-hmm. some bits. So it's got that kind of haze to it, that slasher haze that we all love so much. Um, so you know, basically, our character of Angie Dickinson, she's a, uh, I guess you would say a s- s- sexually frustrated wife. Yeah. Who I guess just doesn't feel sexy anymore. Kind of going through, you know, I guess similar to what men go through in a midlife crisis. She's kind of going through some things herself. She has a son who's uh, it should. Well, I'll talk about I'll talk about the Keith Gordon character a little bit here in a little bit. But she has a son who you know she loves and stuff, and she you know she she loves being a family person, but you know at the same time she's just kind of struggling with some personal stuff. And it's an interesting character, and uh, it's kind of fun to talk. About. I can't talk too much about her, but. Um, she is very interesting in the film uh, as the character she plays because it's it's both a glamorous position, a uh, film role to play, and both a, a pretty rough one in some ways. Uh, it's very brave. I mean, I think especially in the context of her being nude and the motivation of her character, considering Auntie Dickinson at this point was an older woman, I think I want to say in her mid-50s. Her, I mean, she was an older woman by this point. Yeah. She'd come off policewoman and... Yeah. You know, it's a brave performance, certainly. Yep. So she gets to moving around stuff, and then we get to Palma playing with the and, and moving along. I don't want to get too much into the story because, again, with a thriller, you don't want to tell too much about the story. But mm-hmm. we move into this wonderfully shot museum scene Ugh. that uh, is one for the ages. It really is. It's just one of these kind of great moments of cinema that uh that I just love. I mean, it it stands tall in this film. It stands tall in all of film in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, I think it's the one, probably the set piece people most talk about with this film, and it is quite incredible. I mean, it really shows you what a visual storyteller um, De Palma is. It just, it's about a, you know, five to eight minute sequence, let's say, no dialogue. It's just kind of this desperate, lusty uh, pursuit. Yeah. Uh, and very cat and mouse and playful, but yet something very threatening nonetheless and just yeah really a master class and what's what's interesting about the museum scene is this the only scene in the film shot in philadelphia yeah because they just couldn't get any of the museums in new york city to to jive with what they were going for yeah yeah so it's kind of amazing that you know but it, but it works i mean they, they put it all together and stuff and of course you know parts of philly and stuff you can mix stuff together i mean they shoot tons of films in toronto now that look you know double for new york so Mm-hmm. As long as you have some establishment shots, you know you can you can set stuff up. It's not it's not really that impossible. So, but yeah, it's the Philadelphia Museum Art Museum, I believe, which De Palma was really really familiar with because he is from that area. Yeah, he's from Philly. You can definitely hear it when he talks. <laughs> mm-hmm. That Philly uh, accent is there still. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a, it's a master class session. We say that sometimes on this film, but on the show, but uh, it is definitely a master class uh, of uh, film work. Editing, pacing, uh, you know, pure filmmaking, pure cinema, to say the least. Uh, but this is the whole film is a pure exercise in style and, and grace behind the camera, confidence. All those things are really kind of oozing out of this movie. Uh, you just don't feel like, you know, there's a lot of bad decisions made in this movie. I mean, I guess you could probably find some flaws I in it. I find two, both near the back end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then my, my problems with the film, if I have any, are at the back end as well. Uh, but. Most of it is is pretty pretty solid. I, I remember there's a little bit in here. Uh, De Palma, he's a, actually the first message on uh, Michael Caine's answering machine. <laughs> you can hear him talking on there. You can hear his accent. <laughs> well, nice. I didn't know that. Here's since we're talking about voices on the answering machine. Do you know who Bobby was voiced by? Yes, I do. Yeah, a little piece of trivia for everyone: Will, the late great William Finley. Yes, yes, and he's so he's so great as the voice of Bobby too. You know. So, oh God, his voices, yeah, so creepy. It is really creepy. Like, oh yeah, doctor. She was, <laughs> she was a bad girl. <laughs> oh, it's like, man. oh man, it's like ooh. <laughs> but it also reminds me that uh, I remember Tarantino doing the voice of uh, the, uh, Jackie Brown's actual answer machine. You have no more messages, and, and uh, Jackie Brown. So maybe another influence for because if anybody's ever seen any Tarantino talk, they know he's a huge, huge De Palma fan. Oh. Totally. You know, a real movie geek moment. I was reading the latest issue of Fangoria magazine, and I read through the letters section, and the first uh, letter was, uh, hey, great sec- great interview with Nicolas Cage. They did a two-part interview over two issues with uh, Nick Cage, and it was a great interview with Nick Cage because he typically doesn't do interviews with the smaller magazines, and he did one. He you know talks about all of his passions and horror films and all this stuff. And then I looked down to see who sent that letter in. It was fucking Quentin Tarantino, a guy still reading Fangoria magazine. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool, man, writing into magazines. But, um, yeah, so it is impossible for me. Well, not impossible. It's not impossible because it's here. But it's just so weird for me to see, as always, with this and blowouts and other things. But uh, skinny Dennis Franz. I know. It's so <laughs> weird. And he's almost like um, he's skinny. My wife, you know, I was saying to her because she wants her with me. Do you know what that is? And blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's, he's almost like, what the, what's the term I used? It's, he's like this skeevy more aggressive better hair disco version of um of george costanza yeah yeah 
<laughs> and you know the, the sad thing about not the sad thing I think kind of one of the, the things I love about Dennis Franz is he can't for the life of him hide his Chicago accent mm-hmm. he has this really really heavy Chicago accent and he tries and uh, but he can't now another thing he can't hide is his gold chain because his collar is wide <laughs> open bro <laughs> yeah he's very much uh, uh, studio 54 kind of guy yeah he's definitely our kind of detective right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Ford Fairlane was a rock and roll detective. He's very much clearly a disco detective. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, the Keith Gordon character in the film who plays the son of Angie Dickinson, he is essentially Brian De Palma. Mm-hmm. He is uh, obsessed with spy gadgets and voyeurism. And a lot of the little tidbits in here you see, I mean, I've talked about this before on the show, and I know I've talked to you about this before, that Brian De Palma in his youth actually caught his father cheating and helped his mom get a divorce. Uh, by actually filming some things. So uh, that's just kind of wacky when you think about it. so bizarre. I know, it's so crazy, you know. So uh, I guess he sided with mom. But anyway, uh, he has this, and this this is a motif through all of De Palma's films, this obsession with voyeurism. And uh, it's it's pretty fascinating stuff. It's really what I love so much about 70s filmmakers is that their psychosis comes through a lot more Uh than, you know, the modern filmmaker. So some people, you know, I think somebody on our group recently said that, you know, 70s was full of personal blah, 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 and they were just tired of it, and the studios took back over and stuff. I, I don't think, I think people miss the 70s filmmaking because of the, the psychosis in there, because of the little hints of personality. Films from the 70s really felt like filmmakers telling a story from their perspective, whereas With now... their own voice. Yeah, whereas now they just tell the story. Mm-hmm. Which is not a bad thing. I mean, there's still good films made. It's just I just feel like you know a lot of personality, except for some filmmakers, a lot of personality's gone. It's all uh, you know flat uh, spectacle now in a lot of ways. Yeah, but it's really weird to watch his all De Palma's films and see these moments of voyeurism and stuff. And I know that he's still obsessed with spy gadgets and all these things and and uh, security equipment. It's just like an obsession of his. This uh, voyeurism, you know, which is just crazy. Just, <laughs> I mean, I can see where it becomes interesting and stuff, but it's just, uh, I don't know. It just seems like a wormhole I don't want to go down. Yeah, because there's a lot of different kind of voyeurism and and identity and reflection uh, in this film. It, yep. it really is. I mean, there's there's so much, whether it's a cabbie being a voyeur, whether it's, voyeurism through binoculars through a mirror i mean there's just so many shades of it it's uh it's quite quite interesting and it's very clear to see it's a fixation of his yeah, yeah. sexual identity and, and everything that means is on display in this film right and we didn't talk about uh about the one actor we haven't really talked about and here's michael kane who's who's really really good in this film oh yeah he, he's just one of those actors who you, know, you could put him in the worst film ever made and he'd probably still be good in it he'll class it up yeah, he's just you know he brings class to the trash. He does. He literally is a GGTMCS guy. So, but he's really really good in this film. I like his little subtle looks to the mirror. Oh, very very often. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like those little moments and stuff. And and we haven't talked about Nancy Allen as well, who's just you know she's gorgeous and uh, really. You know, some people have talked about her character in this and her character in Blowout. And it's weird that De Palma cast his wife as a hooker. Uh, that is strange, but. <laughs> At the, <laughs> at the same time, maybe not so strange for him and her, you know, later on in the evening. Yes. Uh, but I, I, I really, I like her type of acting. 
I've always liked it. She's got this kind of innocence to her face. She does. That just works. Although there's a scene in this where she possibly runs into what might be the most inept subway gang I've ever seen in any film. <laughs> <laughs> that subway gang is a sad subway gang. You can- <laughs> man. You get that one guy who's dressed like uh, Don Cheadle from uh, Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or fucking uh, Grandmaster Flash, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty funny, man. She's not scared of him at all at first, and then she realizes, first we're going to, and then the one guy says, first we're going to fuck her, then we're going to kill her, or something yeah. like it. And it's like, oh, well, you better run now. <laughs> <laughs> we also get an inept cop on the subway. He just stares at her. Yeah. Very much so. But I like that subway section. I like that whole section of the film, too. I like that whole kind of prowling uh, Nancy Allen character section. It's it's good, too. It gets overlooked. In a it lot is of the- quite a good uh, sequence. Yeah. Very much tense and stalking and stuff. Really good. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. And uh, the uh, the way this film is... I just I, When I get away from this film, when I get back to it now, and I'll let you do your notes here in just a second... What I what I really get from it now is just this this free floating kind of love of cinema. You just feel it. It's 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 similar to doing. It's like you know doing this and this and drive back to back. You really get this sense that you know these are directors who love movies, and that really really shines through for people who love movies like us who listen to podcasts and watch interviews and everything else. People who are obsessed with the the genre or not obsessed with the genre, but obsessed with the art of film. This is really just, like I say, like a really, really sweet treat for me, like a really, really nice piece of butterscotch candy or something like that. It's real creamy and delicious. And this film really holds up for me. I mean, I've loved this film since the first time I've seen it. I still love it now. Uh, it's it's always great to revisit it. It looks really good on blue. Uh, the blue doesn't have a whole lot of special features on it. It does have a nice kind of 30-minute making of or something like that the making of a thriller and stuff so it gets some it's really good yeah i mean yeah. it goes it's almost like a little mini uh commentary but they yeah. kind of talk about key points of the film throughout the film that everyone from the film is involved with except michael kane right 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 yeah so but it's 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 really really i mean i had a really really good time visit revisiting this thing i was just oh, man i just <laughs> had had the film boner going on oh yeah well <laughs> i had a film boner and i had an actual boner because <laughs> I love Nancy Allen, this era. I love De Palma, Nancy Allen. He yeah. uses her better than anyone. It's it's almost like uh, he is to her what Uma is to QT and that no one ever used Allen. Or no one ever used those actresses like these directors, in my opinion. And also should be said, one last note for me, Pino Donaggio. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the uh, guy that did the score, the Italian composer. Pino, he, he's not always known for being like, like this... Like he's not among the, I guess his reputation. He's not among the like the the, the Italian greats when it comes to composers. But I've always loved Donaggio stuff he did with the Palma. I agree. And this one hits it on the head just like Carrie did, and just uh, uh, lovely, lovely stuff. Yeah, that's all my notes. And the thing with Donaggio's music is a lot of times it's overblown, but that was by design. That was by request. Yeah, because right. so I mean that's what De Palma wanted. And it's he kind of seeked him out too because he knew Donaggio was very influenced by um, what you call it by Herman, who Bernard Herman could be yeah. very overblown oh, for sure. So there you go. Yeah. Um. So okay, yeah. I, but you know, like he said, it was a pretty risque role for Angie. She's a much older woman at this point. So kudos to her for taking it on. And you talked a little bit about Keith Gordon. Keith Gordon, interestingly, for those who don't know 
what he went on to do. He went on to become a pretty good director in his own right. He did a fair did a fair bit of uh, of Dexter episodes and yeah. you know, doing some other stuff. So he's done well for himself behind the camera. Yeah. He has unfortunately went bald in a very unattractive way. I feel sorry for the guy. I do too because the problem with him is that he has a very youthful face still. Yes. On top, he doesn't really have the hair, which is unfortunate. Yeah, and he's he's decided to just let it go, which is you know brave let of him. It, let it be patchy. Yeah, it's it's yeah it's it's. I just feel bad for him because <laughs> it's like it's like a nightmare. <laughs> not yeah. that, not that being bald is a bad thing. I mean, if I was going to go bald, I'd just fucking shave my head. But I just feel bad for him. it. Just looks bad because it's that real dark black hair. And he, mm-hmm. and he, I remember him, you know he was a big part of my youth. I mean, he's in Christine, and he's in uh, this and. Uh, couple other films and he's you know a big part of that and stuff so it's just weird to see him now the way he looks now yeah yeah it's true it's definitely true um i think they do a great job of establishing gordon as an intelligent an intelligent thoughtful deliberate boy not some kind of kid over his head yes because he's he has he's put in a position where he has to do some things that a lot of times you and i would be quick to say oh fuck off (laughs) but I like him. I think he puts in a great performance and his character is really fleshed out. And it was like you said, because De Palma, in a lot of ways, Gordon was De Palma as a youngster, even down to the computer he built. Uh, De Palma built the computer quite comparable. So, um, you know, because De Palma was into physics, I think, early on. Figure that one out. Um, there's there's some kind of mommy issues, which, again, you know, I think it's De Palma tapping into his own psyche a little bit. Um, yeah, it should be said, I mentioned Keith Gordon. He did make a film I really love called uh, A Midnight Clear which I definitely recommend people check out oh I've never seen it I've always meant to yeah, like, I know you talked about it and I think of it quite highly so yep. uh, I think quite highly of the Playgirl-esque gorilla painting in the museum yes <laughs> that's incredible yes it is I like to have uh, that hanging in my living room fuck yeah <laughs> Uh, I love the aviators. You know, I always say that, but I love, like, in this, they're, they're in the, uh, what's his name in it? Lockman. Uh, I can't remember. Something Lockman. And uh, just that silent, and just that whole sequence, like you said, it's it's uh, no dialogue. And there's there's love, there's a few sequences in this that, that go, you know, five, seven, eight minutes with no dialogue, which is really fantastic because Diploma is so great visually. Um, and I like, you know, what's nice to see, too, is, is along with this ever moving, slowly ever moving sort of, gliding cameras the lack of cuts yeah yeah it's There's not a lot of cuts in the film which is really great yeah yeah i mean it's my favorite type of filmmaking is you know i don't get me wrong i think fancy editing has its place i like natural born killers i like you know some of these i like some of the oliver stone insane editing films but i really do like the pacing of a, a, a well-told story and that's what mm-hmm. i think this film has you're right There's, there is a lack of cuts in this film which makes it really nice it does. Uh, I do want to say that if you've not seen this film before, don't read about it. Don't because I think you and I are intentionally avoiding something here that a lot of people think of as an afterthought to sort of move the film forward. But I think you're better served uh, with the viewing without knowing that that it happens. Yeah. You know. So where you and I are dancing around, anyone who's seen it definitely knows what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the whole thrust of the film, really. But. But I think just go in if you like our review and see it without reading anything about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it is, like Will says, it is really the whole thrust of the film is the one thing we're not talking about. <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's a really great, and this is such a minor, minor throwaway gesture in the film, but there's a moment when Angie Dickinson wakes up and she puts her skirt on because she's just, she's had an affair or a fling. And 
she touches her own ass and she sees that her panties aren't on. <laughs> I, I just love that. I don't know. It's, it's just little moments like that that yeah. kind of enrich it for me. Uh, I don't want to say, well, yeah, because we're avoiding it, I'm not going to say what film and what director De Palma's treatment of Dickinson and this is very reminiscent of. Yes. <laughs> which you know what I'm getting at. Yes. Um, I wouldn't even have to guess very hard. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. And, and ironically, the daughter of, oh, never mind, never mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we won't even go there. Fantastically tense moment, um, depending on your perspective, <clears throat> from, um, uh, from behind an elevator door, if we're looking at it from Nancy Allen's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love that whole elevator sequence. Oh, I didn't it's mention so it. good. It is. It's really, really good. It's so good, so good. And I like that, you know, having watched this now three, maybe four times, um, that it's edited. You, we see the clues for the viewer now. Yeah, yeah. When you go back and revisit it, everything's there. Yes. Which is, yes. I think, one of the reasons why I liked, uh, which uh, on film I had a, a similar reaction to that with. But the first time I saw Shutter Island, I didn't really like it that much. I thought it was okay. Yeah. The second time I saw it, I liked it a lot more because it really is. It's all there. Uh, the first oh, time, yeah. of course, obviously I didn't see anything. But the second time I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? It's all there. So it's kind of that, you know, you get to see that craftsmanship of filmmaking there. Yeah, you do. Um, I really like Gordon. Like I said, I like the stuff he does in the film. It feels very real. And he's very likable in the film, which is good. Um, I love that shot of of uh, of someone behind a telephone pole as Nancy Ellen's cab pulls up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good. And then there's more voyeurs than that. And that leads into the whole subway sequence. And there's moments in this film that are they almost feel like they're lit by candlelight um, when they're not. But they almost feel like it because there's this air of intimacy to them. Yes, yes. Which is just, you know, the problem of being a very particular, specific filmmaker. Um, and I liked it in the, the, the subway scene. Gordon's still a hero despite being a boy. Yes. And he even, I think, because he even leads to the next moment when he says, Oh, I said I was sleeping at a friend's house. So it reminds us that he is a boy who, who can get by on his, his intelligence to, to do what he needs done, but he is still a boy. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw this, I remember thinking, Oh, yeah, that's a, you know, I was a younger person. I remember thinking, Oh, yeah, that's a movie convention. Of course, he shows up right at the right moment, blah, blah, blah. But of course, now seeing it as an adult and seeing it often, there's I realize, Yeah, there's logic. He tells, he tells you, you know, he basically tells you. Yeah, you know, yeah, he gives you what you need to, to understand that that isn't just happenstance. Mm -hmm. um, I really love uh, Kane's arousal when Nancy Allen is talking really dirty to him, yeah. <laughs> and it's great because you can see it almost in his lips. And she says something like, "Oh, I can see your cock underneath those pants." I mean, <laughs> if I was fucking Michael Kane, I would have pulled my cock out from behind those tweed pants. Also, like in that scene, this sounds like a very misogynistic thing to say, but it's very sexy that you can just see a glimpse of her nipple. Yeah, man. In that uh, in that bra, there. so it's just like, oh, yeah. And then she says, uh, she says, well, "Why don't you want to fuck me?" And he says, "I'm a doctor." And she goes, oh, "I fucked a lot of doctors." <laughs> and he says, "I'm married." And he goes, "Fucked a lot of those too." <laughs> yeah. Just kind of a funny. There's a few little funny moments too with some of the dialogue. There should be said, Diploma wrote and directed the film. Yeah, yeah. There's some great moments of dialogue between. Uh, it should be said, there's a great. The first time Dennis Franz and Nancy Allen have an interaction, it's great too. Oh yeah, yeah. Because there's something revealed about her character that we don't know. Yes. Um, 
there's a really great reveal and a slow mo reaction from Alan. We get a few slow mo reactions from Alan, which I always I think the Palma does the slow mo reaction to violence or reaction to a revelation better than anyone. Yeah, it's like his thing, the slow mo reaction to violence. Yeah, yeah, it's really fantastic, and I really like the, the exposition. I think that it is a bit um, antiquated now, but I think it serves itself well as far as the logic of especially in the in in the grand scheme of Jali, because a lot of them are so cockamamie that this one really feels logical and um god you know nancy Ellen looks so great near the end of the film when she's wearing that gray sweater at the restaurant yeah oh fuck i love her i love this era that's of that shot in the uh, world trade center Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. that the windows to the world restaurant that used to be in the World Trade Center. Yeah, that's pretty amazing when you think about it now in retrospect. Man. Oh, wow. Um, here's the two beefs I have with the film. Something happens in a hospital, and there's a lot of witnesses, a lot of like hyena-type witnesses, and I think that was so needless. They didn't need to be there, and it makes it seem so illogical. It's, it's and a, so like fake. It's a total horror movie moment in the middle of it this is. movie. <laughs> it's so hammy. Like they didn't. They could have still done everything that that scene did. Just don't show all these, these I, cackling hyenas. I have a slight argument for that. I'll say that that still is from. And let me know if you think if this. Oh is a, oh 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 oh. Uh, I know what you're gonna say, uh, and I guess in the context of what's revealed later on. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Okay. No, that's fair. That's very fair. I hadn't mm-hmm. really thought of it that way. And I guess well, I should have. Because my first reaction to that film when I first saw it, too, is I thought, wow, this is kind of silly. Mm-hmm. But then when you think about it, it kind of. It kind of. It, it, it does make complete sense. Yeah. yeah. I, I just. And here's my second gripe with the film is. Well, I'll get to my second gripe in a second, actually. I love. Um, he loves to shoot women in steamy showers. I mean, he's done it in a few films. Yeah, nothing, um, wrong, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Fantastically tense. Uh, again, not Hitchcock with the shower and stuff. I just want to say one word. Um, shoes. <laughs> I still got chills watching that. Yeah, yeah. I still got chills. I still went, oh, my God. Let me tell you something, man. If I'm in the shower washing my beautiful breast. and uh, Shaving I- your pubes with the straight <laughs> <laughs> And I look over out of the shower, and I see a pair of shoes outside of my door. I will drop a deuce in that shower in five, within five <laughs> seconds of seeing those shoes. <laughs> That's I love, love, love that scene that so is much. So fucking creepy, man. It's so good. It's so good. My only beef, though, comes the fact that he cheapens it by nodding to the ending from another one of his films. It's yeah. the exact same ending. Yeah, I know. And it's like, motherfucker, you just dropped the ball. Like, you had the teeth to end it perfectly, and then yeah. you, you um, castrate—no pun intended—the scene. Like, it's yeah, yeah. It's 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 a. I almost feel like he became a victim of his own success. That, in some ways. or maybe the studio said, "Hang on." Yeah, yeah. We need one more of these. That's right. And and okay, fair enough, but. It doesn't mar the, the, the technique and how wonderful that scene is. Yeah. Like I said, I still got chills, and it was the third or fourth time I've yeah. seen it. But um, I just I wish it had have ended without that next reveal, which he pulled in another film. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I don't really love that last bit of that scene. Yeah, so those are all my notes. No, no, no. I said, uh, you said it's good. But, uh, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, that one scene you were talking about when we get done recording here. Um, 
Yeah, okay, so my make or break, uh, it's a museum scene. I really don't know. I don't really know. I mean, there's so many good scenes in the film, but it's really the make of the film. I mean, it's what people always bring away from the film, right? Even people yeah. who don't really love the movie will always say that the museum scene's so great, you know? The kind of moving in between walls. I love that she, when she's pursuing him, he just kind of, he's in frame for like this brief second, almost like it would be if you if you saw him, you know? So it's kind of like really great. Uh, my MVT for this one, I'm going to go with the Palma. Uh, really, during this period, it's hard for me not to go with the Palma almost every time. Yeah. Uh, because you know it's pure filmmaking it's pure brian de palma so this is really you know some of his his greatest work i mean again it's one of my top three favorite de palmas too so uh, we both are in agreement on this one i think the only one we are in agreement on de palma wise is scarface what was your other top three this uh carrie and what else a blowout a little, you're right right that's right exactly yeah, and I, I do quite like blowout just not as much as yeah. you do but yeah. well, I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about that on the show so. Oh yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that one at some point, no doubt. And I think I like Obsession more than you do because I think I remember yeah. you talking about Obsession. Obsession's good; it's a little overblown, even for De Palma. For yeah. me, mm-hmm. um, but uh, my score for the film, saying that, is a nine point two five out of ten. Woo! Yeah, I love this film. Oh, mercy, it, it's e- it's easily probably if I had like a top fifty list or a top twenty five list, it's probably be in there. It's one wow, of my. Oh, I'm really. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's one of my favorite thrillers of all time, and favorite. Uh, I just. I love the film. I really do, and I've always loved it. And I continue just revisiting it. Just reminds me how much I love it. Very nice. Yep. Very nice. Um, just before I forget, I'd seen something in the the special features. You know, he was going to adopt or adapt adopt adapt the <laughs> novel Cruising. He was going to do Cruising. Yeah, I remember. Uh, wild. Yeah, there's a couple films that he was attached to in the 70s and 80s that he ended up passing off to friends and stuff. There's a Scorsese did one too, I think. No, I think Taxi Driver was originally a De Palma thing. Better that it was Scorsese. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I think it was originally a De Palma thing because De Palma's really good friends with De Niro too. It should be said, people don't know. Well, I guess they do know. He's kind of responsible. He kind of brought De Niro into everything. Really, he kind of in his early student films and stuff, De Niro was in there. Nice. So. Yeah, I think he was originally a taxi driver. He's originally attached to cruising, and uh, there's a couple other ones too that would kind of blow your mind if you knew it. I can't yeah. remember off the top of my head though. I think that both of those worked out for the best. Friedkin's Cruising is a great film in its own. Right, yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's another one of those films where even if De Palma would have done it, I probably still would have had problems with the back end of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. One thing about the '70s and '80s, these films, the back end logic sometimes is like, dude, <laughs> stop, yeah. just quit while you're ahead. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Um, Make it break for me is the elevator. Loving an elevator. <laughs> yeah. So it's quite good. Just there's so much going on technique wise. Um, I do quite enjoy it. Uh, interestingly, the VD. I always wondered why the VD thing was in the film because it's kind of inconsequential. But he mentions in the interview that um, he was visiting a friend in New York City and they had someone come to the door and hand them one of those letters. <laughs> so he decided to throw it in the film. Ouch. <laughs> MVT is De Palma, the most valuable thing about the film. Absolutely, Brian De Palma. He wrote it, directed it. Just a height of his powers, like you said. Uh, my score for the film is an 8.5 out of 10. A little bit, a little bit lower than yours, but, I mean, fuck, it's... Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very, very, very strong film, man. Yeah. And I quite love it. Um, as do you, so there you have it. I'm sitting there thinking that if I got a letter from the VD and I had a girl over to impress her and I got a letter in the, at the door from VD and stuff, I think it would change the tone of the hors d'oeuvres I was serving with the cheese on it. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh easy, easy squeeze cheese. All right. Oh, 
Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Do a little zom on the air there. <laughs> Talk about coleslaw. <laughs> That's Loaf who doesn't like coleslaw. Anyway. Oh, it's Zom. It's Zom, isn't it? <laughs> no, I think it's Zom eats coleslaw, and I think Loaf hates it. Oh, it's so weird. It's so good. I think he hates mayo, though. So if, oh. you, hate, if you hate mayo, then you're going to hate a lot of things like that. Like, you hate mayo, you're an alien, I think. <laughs> macaroni salad and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, all right, uh, we're going to take a short break, come back and knock out some of our feedback. We will be back right after this. What's up, kiddies? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, the only show crazy enough to tackle the Brian Bosworth classic Stone Cold. song oddly has a it just made it felt like dressed to kill to me for some reason i know i was just thinking that man <laughs> like very strange the era 1982 so. i just picked that at random too it's so weird <laughs> i'm sitting here listening to it and i'm like yeah that that kind of you know has a dress to kill feel to it for some reason we should have seen uh cooper and ross are dressed to kill on that album cover <laughs> All right, so we got some feedback. Uh, guys, we don't know how much we'll get to today, but we're going to try to get some of it. Uh, just keep sending it in, though. We will get to it at some point. Uh, it's just the way the show goes now, and that's the way it is. So we do listen and read, and especially if you send emails, we read every piece. and we The we, same day it comes yeah, to us. and we listen to the voicemails typically the same day they come to us. Uh, it's just a matter of getting them on the air, but we don't delete anything. So just uh, send them in. We'll get to them. Uh, you want to get to the uh, – you want to do an email first? Sure, let's do it. Um, just as the road might be, what is it? The, the first one will be from Michael, Keyboard Monkey. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yes, yes, correct. Music in episode 166. It's been a while. Greetings from the British Isles. It's been a while since I've sent an email, but I wanted to send a brief one to the show just to say thank you for the show and its quality. It's not that long since we catch up to outside the cinema. Reach your 200th episode, so there'll be a lot to celebrate. Uh, I wanted to ask what a piece of music you used in episode 166, Macho Street Hunter. The Euro techno track you used before starting the review for the Steve James film Street Hunter. I forgot over that film. The episode, the song's been stuck in my head and I'm desperately trying to search for it. Could you help me locate it? Mm. Um, to end this on a slightly crass note, Surely in American football would be more practical and more pleasurable, depending on the context. Oh, God. He's, <laughs> of course, referring to Mrs. Basketball Jones. Uh, she needs to make a, maybe a resurgence on Silver. No, we shouldn't. Salmon's back. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I, maybe. I don't know. Those seams, though, might be a little yeah. uncomfortable. Ribbed for her pleasure. It's funny that he mentions that because I'm actually holding a Nerf football. I bought my son. I hope you're holding <laughs> it with your hand. <laughs> I cut a hole out of the end of it. <laughs> I was going to write a long, thoughtfully made about the Internet being uh, merely a vessel for all the strangest and perverse aspects of the human subconscious. Less a threat to our mor- moralities, but just the newest medium for the desires and perversities are easy, already existent in our heads. After VHS and DVD, but frankly, it's best to go with the most perverse thought I've written in an email and just run or dribble with it. Can regards <laughs> nice. like the keyboard monkey. Now, I don't remember what track he's referring to, but I am going to forward this email to our email so it becomes sort of the top of the list. And I'm going to put Steve James music uh, so I can look it up. So Yeah, it'll be um, you that needs to go with that anyway because you're more the Euro techno guy than I am. Yeah, so let me... Whoops. Um, let me just. Okay, so there we go. So I'll look into that. And as always, thank you, uh, Michael. Yes, thanks. It always as uh, And Street Hunter was not quite what we thought it was going to be. That's okay. You win some, you lose some. It was still okay. It was nice to see Steve James in a starring role. Yeah, you roll the dice with that kind of stuff. We see a cover, we see the cast, we think, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. All right, uh, the next one is from Warner. Warner, not Warner. Warner. Uh, he says, uh, hello, gentlemen. I've been a long-time listener, about a year and a half now. There goes the email. Your show has gotten me through some rough times. There's nothing better than working overnight listening to you guys shoot the shit about movies and whatnot. Hell, if I can't be watching movies, then I might as well be listening to people talk about them. I'm a big fan, and since I started listening to you guys, my Amazon wish list has grown about to about five pages. Now, if only I could get enough money saved up to take care of those pages. Just so I have something about movies to say, I'll say that I just rewatched Drive for the first time since theaters, and it really holds up still. Ruffin has to be one of my top five working filmmakers today. I was at a bar with my buddy the other day, and he was bitching about how Drive sucked because of the lack of gore and plot, and how it bothered him that Gosling barely spoke. I tried explaining to him that that was, in fact, how the movie was supposed to be. He said he wanted more action and car chases, so I suggested he borrow Fast Five. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I like the Fast and Furious movies. To each his own correct. Fuck, I forgot what my point was with that. Uh, either way, I've been on Facebook group and I really can't tell. I really can't. I can really tell you two are very involved with talking to listeners. Keep up the good work, gents. Yeah, thanks, Warner. We appreciate that. Yeah, we are very involved with our listeners. That's uh, something we take pride in, actually. Yeah. Once you're in, you're in. Yeah. And, you know, bros before hoes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> oh, there's also. Well, I almost put my fucking foot in my mouth. There's also some women on our page. So. <laughs> Yeah, in that case, hoes before bros. <laughs> you said it, not me. Uh, yeah. Ladies before. Yeah. I, love, I love you all. I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I haven't slept. So community before. Yeah. Every, I don't know. Community before disparity. I don't yes. know. I don't know. I don't know what any of this means. We love our community. Let's say that and move on. <laughs> yes, let's do that. All right. <laughs> oh, we are, we are such a mess. <laughs> yes. Sound be gone. I have to. I'm gonna go ahead and read this next one because uh, this person's last name. I just love this person's name, uh, Richard. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, I really just love his name. And it should be said, Richard, if I remember correctly, uh, we're going to have. Uh, and, yeah, we're gonna have an interview with him. Yeah, we'll have an interview on the uh, maybe not him, but at least part of somebody that works with him. Maybe I don't know, but he'll be on the uh, show with Aaron. It might not be him. It might be somebody else from. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to look into it, but I remember he, he's got a tie into it. Yeah, he's got a tie to it. Actually, maybe it is him. 
I think it is. Yeah, it is. So this, so this name he has here, this isn't his real name, which is probably a good thing. Great porn name. Yeah, it's a great name, porn name. He writes in as Richard Splash. <laughs> so as a short, you could be called Dick Splash. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> pretty great. <laughs> Uh, okay, so hey, Samurai, Large William, and all the other red peeps of the GGTMC. So I was sitting here in the waiting room of a dingy dentist's office. You might want to look into changing dentist. While my wife was getting emergency dental surgery, a randomly cracked tooth, by the way, not my fault. I'm innocent, I tells you. And listening to your show. I try to juggle a mixture of new and old episodes with you guys, so I was all the way back to the Without Gloria episode. Jesus. And then followed it up with a more recent Bloody Godzilla episode. Anyway, I was just sitting there, all tore up and worried about my wife, but concentrating on your always entertaining show helped me chill the hell out. My wife survived to chew another day, and I just felt that I had to write you guys. I have been a fan of the show for roundabouts a year now, and I just wanted to thank you profusely for continuing to make such a kick-ass podcast. One last thing, I cannot believe that you play Corrosion of Conformity in the Blind Man Straits episode. That track, for those of you who don't know, is from Blind, one of my favorite metal albums that no one seems to remember for the classic that it is. Sincerely, Richard, uh, from uh, DoomMovieThon.com, Cinema Synabulist, and uh, the Doom, uh, Hello Doom Show. So, uh, Hello, This Is The Doom Show. There we go. Jesus, you got a lot of credits there, Richard. (laughs) We, we We just got the one. No, it's great to hear from other podcasts. I've never actually listened to the show, have you? I've not listened to the show, but I checked out their website, and I have to say, Richard's uh, a man that knows his stuff, and it's it's very cool that he digs what we do, as always. I mean, whether you're uh, someone who works as a dentist or simply uh, is creatively involved with, with film criticism and listens to it while at the dentist, yes. um, it's always very flattering. I remember when I read that email when he sent it, and I thought, that's very cool, man. It's you know, it kind of helped his day get better. I know a few friends have said that before, that you know their day's been eased through our voices, which is uh, super, super flattering. Yes, we definitely appreciate that. All right, let's try some voicemails here. Let's see what we got. Uh, let's go with I'm a... So fucking hungry. <laughs> let's go with... <laughs> I say voicemail, you say, I'm so fucking hungry. <laughs> I fucking hate paparazzi. <laughs> All right, here, let's go with uh, let's go with Roop. Bring the old Roop back. Here we go. Hey, gents, it's Roop. Um, just listen to the Macho Man uh, Street Hunter show. I guess I should say Sour Hammer. Um, Colin, um, that's some hilarious stuff. That movie sounds quite hammer. amazing. I'm surprised you guys didn't call it Pantheon, based on what you were saying. But um, eh, it's I not quite there. Check it out. Um, mm. uh, and I will say this: just the beginning of the Street Hunter episode, your mention of John Leguizamo, I have to tell you, guys made me go and look up the Pest. This is where Ooh. how weird my brain is. <laughs> the Leguizamo movie, The Pest, on Swap a DVD, and I almost pulled the trigger Whoa. ordering it there. And I have no idea why. Um, wow. Totally. Um, I, and I don't know why my mind went. To, I think for, I like Leguizamo too. And for some reason, my mind went to like the worst possible things, or at least what are reputed to be the worst possible things he's done. Yeah. I went to the past, and then I thought the show House of Bugging and how <laughs> oh. the Onion ran. Um, plot stops. Each episode, they would always say, we are doing this as a book service until the show is canceled. Um, so I don't know if anybody remembers the house. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, real quick, I don't know. Whoa. Uh, this whole left turn where I was talking about this. Um, Hopefully the quality comes back. Some, some old, I, I love William Powell. Uh, Kennel Murder Case is going to be on my um, best of 2011 
seen for the first time list, uh, which is going to come out um, this week. And um, I just saw Fashions of 1934. And it sounds like the call quality is really dodgy now. It's still going. So I'm, there it goes. Berkeley stuff. Uh, I was going to check out Jewel Robbery, which I think I've seen. That's another one that's been on an upcoming list. Anyway, just wanted to hear. If, with, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, man. That really sucks. We can't even we can't even answer that. Yeah, I really can't really. I mean, I like William Powell. That's all I could say. And I've been meaning to check the Busby Berkeley. So. And I have no interest in hunting down the pest. <laughs> or revisiting House of Buggin. Oof. You know, that's the thing about Leguizamo is he's, he is a good actor. He is. I like Leguizamo. But, man, he's made some, some poop. He has. He has made some fucking caca. He's made some fucking caca. All right, let's see here. <laughs> he, <laughs> I love saying caca. He's made some fucking caca. <laughs> William Finley on uh, the phone there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, doctor. He's made some fucking caca. <laughs> You said it's ate some fucking caca. <laughs> Ooh. Nice. Ooh. A fucking, do you have Puritan beef stew? Ooh. I know what it is. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I ever told you a story about one time, man, this friend of mine, we were at work, and he came in the bathroom, man, like like a bat out of hell, and he's like, oh, man, I feel like shit. I'm like, oh, you all right, buddy? He's like, no, I'm make out of the way. And he pushed push William Finley when he was hulking out. <laughs> he's like, hey, doc, I feel like shit. <laughs> Anyway, he sits down in the stall, and I'm washing my hands. He sits down in the hall, man. It sounds like it's the stall, the hall, the stall, and it sounds like somebody just like poured like a complete bot of vat of like vegetable soup into a fucking <laughs> toilet. I was like, I dude, hope he wasn't sitting in the hall, either that. If you were, he did. I hope you wore rubber boots, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, guy, <laughs> you fucking shit on my shoes. <laughs> oh <like> shit. <laughs> Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's what it sounded like, man. It's fucking disgusting. It was like, it was like, <laughs> <laughs> really painted the porcelain, eh? Yeah, God, that dude. Wow. And the whole time he's going, oh, <laughs> Harry, <laughs> Harry. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, fuck. Sorry, Roop, your voicemail <laughs> reactions went <laughs> pretty new vegetable soup shit story. <laughs> It went, it went the wrong way. <laughs> sort of the soup. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, let me put another voicemail here. Here we go. This is Esky. I think this is audible. I can't remember if it is. Toboggan, beanie, mid cap, Opportunity Eskimo, I like that. Naked dork. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> All right. Yeah, okay. I love with me. I showed her my naked dork. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Uh, you want to do another email? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get this vegetable soup out of my fucking head. 
in the voice. Oh, I love it. Oh. Um, so it looks like the next one is from uh, Linda, who I know has been part of our community lately, chiming in here and there. <laughs> Episode 181. Dear gentlemen, just finished listening to your review of Vampire Circus, a movie I am fond of in a theory. It really does require quite a lot of hammer affection to love. Sammy gave a challenge. Actually, this was me, actually. She says Sammy, but she means me. Give a challenge to the listeners to come up with a British horror film you would enjoy, and the first two that came to mind are Living Dead at uh, the Manchester Morgue, one of the best early zombie films, and for those who are tired of the Zompok, Deathline, aka Raw Meat. These movies, both of which are brilliant and genuinely frightening, are from the same time as Vampire Circus. They're closer in feel to U.S. 70s films being pretty real world films with a touch of social relevance. And some real sleaze. Hope you enjoy, Linda. We have we have covered Living Dead in Manchester Morgue. Yeah, yeah. Which, Did we, I can't remember if we covered it under that title or the uh, the other. Let sleeping let sleeping corpses lie. Corpses lie was yeah. the title we covered it under. Yep. Right yeah, which we both yeah. liked. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. And uh, raw meat is one I quite like as well. I'm oh yeah, raw, sure. raw yeah. meat's good, man. Raw meat's good. <laughs> it is good, man. <laughs> it it causes you to have the vegetable bullshits. <laughs> Yeah, don't eat around me. It'll cause that to happen. Yeah. I'm gonna go I might go back and listen to this episode as to how much so much of a fool I sound like on this episode. Awesome. <laughs> that whispery seductive uh, William Finley impersonation. <laughs> awesome. And thanks, Linda. We uh, we appreciate it. And thanks for chiming in with that. Yes. I know some people did when we put out that episode, uh what was the one? Death Rides Out, I think. Uh a couple others that I hadn't seen that I'm gonna have to dig into for sure. So and I'm glad other people feel the same that um, and not really too fond of some of the. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's hit and miss stuff, right? So, yeah. you know, they made a lot of stuff. So, you know, I like some of the Dracula stuff and some of the Frankenstein stuff they did. And I think I like Vampire Circus just because it's so much different and it doesn't really deal with quote unquote Dracula. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's some interesting stuff in there. But yeah, I'm definitely. We, we might cover Raw Meat at some point in time. I wouldn't mind talking about that one at some point. I agree, man. It's got the Pleasants. It's kind of an early uh, precursor to Chud. Yeah. So. Be a good time. Yeah. All right, let's play another voicemail here. See if it inspires any more buffoonery on my part. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, fuck Tim Tivo. Fuck Tim Tivo. Oh, fuck geez. Tim Tivo. This must fuck have been after Tivo. the playoff fuck game. Tim <laughs> fuck Tim Tivo. Fuck Tim Tivo. <laughs> fuck Tim Tivo. <laughs> fuck Tim Tivo. Fuck Tim Tivo. Fuck Tim Tivo. Fuck Tim Tivo. Fuck Tim Devo. Feel I should have won. <laughs> I bet I bet Tom is loving life <laughs> now that yeah. Tim Tebow is a jet. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so that yeah that must that that could that one dated itself. Wow, I didn't know I had that one. I thought I'd caught up with those. Sorry about that, Tom. But hey, yeah, thank you for the nice words though for my Steelers uh, who did not win that game. <laughs> I hear rustling upstairs. Again. Yeah, I think I heard rustling upstairs in in the other room. That might have been my seductive uh, vegetable soup story. <laughs> <laughs> And put it over. All right, let's play a couple more voicemails. And uh, how many more emails do we have? I see one. one yeah, one, uh, two. Well, we can hang on to a couple. All right, let's, here we go. This one from uh, Cinemasticist here. Hey, guys, it's the Cinemasticist. Just my rolls are calling in. I'm not sure if I called yet on Memphis Heat or not. So if I did, you just disregard this message. Um I haven't seen the documentary yet, but it's definitely high up on my to see list as I'm a huge wrestling fan now. I'm going to shock the world, and I did it on Action Traction, my Masters of the Universe guest spot, that I'm actually extremely young. I was born in 1991. That means we're only 20 right now. Wow. Uh, but I've always been a huge wow. wrestling fan, just like film. 
I've always done my research the older I've gotten. He was born uh, so when I, I graduated from high school. From, <laughs> not all, but a lot of wrestling from the 80s till now. Uh, stuff from the early 80s and definitely 70s and before. You fucking young minimal. bastard. So I think this documentary is definitely the most intriguing to me as I will know more about it. I did just watch the other documentary, uh, Card Subject to Change on Netflix Simpson, which I really enjoyed. But as others have stated, uh, if, you've, if you've known the wrestling business or even seen Beyond the Mat, it doesn't have a terribly new... Uh, to the sport uh, or the documentary world on new insights. So I think for me, seeing Memphis Heat will do that because I'll hear more insights from <laughs> happening in the past, the well, 70s, the 80s, or 60s, yeah. however far back it goes. And that's I think that's going to be more enjoyable for me, and I think it's going to help <laughs> me branch out a bit more when I try to go back okay. farther in. And I'm going to definitely use you guys, and especially Zom, yeah. as help to, to, to steer me in the right direction of what to see, what not to see, oh, what's no most important, what's not. So I just want to say keep up the great work, guys, and I can't wait to hear this feedback episode. I can't wait to hear all the the old GGTMC brethrens and ladies calling in. I, just, I can't wait to hear everybody. Wow. Keep up the good work, gang. Okay. All right, we're back. The uh, I love I love that even when Justin calls into even our show that we either talk over his voicemails or we do something else during his voicemails. <laughs> You Justin? Yeah. <laughs> you ever listen to Silver and Gold? It's quite amazing. I, I can never understand what he's saying because he's talking 100 miles an hour, and not only that, but Zom's talking over it the whole time. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Justin, man. I just Mother's Day plans. My yeah, brother-in-law yeah. just called. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we heard everything. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I'll cut out some of the other stuff toward the back end, though. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no. Uh, the Memphis Heat documentary is awesome. I think he's seen it since then. That's been quite some time ago he sent that voicemail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, there we go. Uh, okay. Uh I don't know how many more. How much more you want to do here? One. One more, one more voicemail. Sure. All right. Let's see here. Let me find one here. Let me find one. I have a couple long ones, but I don't want to play one of those. Let's hear from. Uh, let's see here. Let's see here. Let's hear from a lady. Shall we hear from a lady? A lovely lady. Let's close it out with a lovely lady. Lovely lady. Jen's it's Emily. I just wanted to say I love the Bloody Birthday episode. It's one of my favorite. It is my favorite slasher, actually. I think it is a, a because it's a killer kid film, which is my one of my favorite subgenres. So combine it with the genre, I'm kind of lukewarm on, and it makes a good slasher. Uh, I watch it every year for my birthday. Uh, it's actually less than 80 minutes. It's like a 78 minute movie, which and all of those 78 minutes are pretty wonderful. Uh, and I just wanted to mostly talk about the um, refrigerator door. Uh, I actually work at an appliance company, and I can tell you that um, it, I don't know that it's law now, but we have to put in manuals. It might be it might be kind of some kind of regulation. We still have to put information about. Um, removing the doors from your refrigerator before you throw them out. I think you can be fined for it, at least in New York, if you don't do it. The hysterical thing is um, some manufacturers' refrigerators have this, like, insert that just automatically goes in, and it's great because they have drawings of, like, kids in refrigerators, and it's funny, even though it's, you know, not if it actually happened, but if it didn't. Uh, And they also give tips for um, how to solve the problem of refrigerator doors, and they actually recommend to look around your neighborhood for you know, refrigerators that still have the doors on. So I, I like the idea that somebody out there is on a mission to, you know, cure the world of doors on garbage refrigerators. Um, Labor Day is wonderful. Uh, they do not make them like they used to. However, I will agree that Orphan goes so much farther than you expect to for a movie, a theatrical release in the 21st century. It has an out, yes, 
But keep in mind, you don't find out about that out until after the movie goes as intense as it does. And if you've seen it, you know what I mean. Um, so I just like to praise that movie as well whenever I can. Uh, that's all. Bye. <laughs> it's weird that me and Emily both in some weird way are connected and that we both work in the appliance business. It's very strange. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> A little hint to things there. Um, yeah, yeah. I like. We like Bloody Birthday. I thought it was cool. Oh yeah, definitely. Not a great film, but it is a very cool film. And uh yeah, I'm looking at our my voicemail folder and it's getting small. All right. Nice. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I got to quit with the voices. <laughs> <laughs> Popping in people's ear. Okay, so that's the that's the big show this week. That's that's it. That's it in a nutshell. Bang. You want to do our pleasantries? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, let me see. Want to do them in your seductive Bobby voice? Yes. <laughs> Check out our sister show, Silver and Gold. Show, show, TC. Hammockus. Entrails from the Skeleton Closet. Podcast without honor and humanity. Podcast on fire. It's on fire. Cinna Awesome. Action Attraction. <laughs> Married with clickers. <laughs> Pilio Cinema Girls on film. <laughs> the Glee cast. Family movie night, 35 millimeter. Hero. <laughs> Chin. Stroker versus Punter. NOTLP. The Big Red Podcast. <clears throat> Better in the dark, I need some water. <laughs> v Cinema. The Criteria. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Projection moves. Mondo Film Podcast. I'm feeling lightheaded. My throat is sore. Love that album, Movie Matchup. <clears throat> Paracinema.net, nightmaretheater.blip.tv. We are a young monster. Teleport-city.com. I'm about to cough. I better hurry up. <laughs> the GTDMC.blogspot.com. These are all.blogspot.com. Rupert Buckin speaks to it also. Chuck Norris and my baby. Oh, baby. Best of B list. Fist. Fist. Cinema Gonzo, Playground of Doom. Sketches of Shiftless and Shasta. Moon in, the, moon in the gutter. Wax Mask. Deathrattle.net. The Lightning Bugs Lair.com. We like stuff too. A hero never dies. Freaking awesome <laughs> network. DiabolicDVD.com. Cinema-DE-Bazaar.com. Gentlemen, is the promo code. OMG-Entertainment.com. GTTMC10. BoulevardMovies.com. Camera Obscura. Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. <coughs> well-deserved <laughs> cough. And now a well-deserved drink of water. Sammy takes over. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Next week, uh, we are doing our Diabolic DVD episode, and um, we got a couple of fun films lined up for you, I think. I think you guys are going to be in for quite a surprise here. Uh, next week, uh, we are doing uh, The Forbidden Zone, which is a uh, Richard Elfman film, which is kind of a notorious cult film. I've kind of held off on it for a long time. Some other shows covered it. Stuff. It's, it's going to be one of our uh, rare times we do a musical on the film, on the show, on the film. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck on the show so that'll be fun and uh and we're also doing another little gem called two-lane blacktop which yes. you guys which you guys may have heard of <clears throat> uh, so we're gonna be covering that as well so uh and now i'm looking at images of faith mitten 
Faith Mitten. Yeah, from uh, you know the little girl you posted on the. Uh... Oh yeah, a little too fantastic <laughs> in some of them, but other ones she just hits the spot. Yeah, <laughs> fucking loaf stacks the deck against us by posting the most fantastic picture we can find. <laughs> yeah, Motherfucker. <no>. Fucking guy. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah. Was it Loaf or was it uh, Zom that did that? Loaf did that on his own on, on something called it was hot or not. <laughs> fucking, that fucking bastard. Motherfucker. <laughs> All right, guys. So uh, that's what we're covering next week. Um, I guess that's it. So uh, with that, I will say adios. Adios. <laughs> adios from Bobby. <laughs> and the vegetable soup. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 